And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 149 of the Next Best Picture podcast. I'm recording 11:10 a.m. on June 30th, 2019. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and today we have a pretty fun episode. Not only are we introducing two new contributors to the Next Best Picture family, but we are also going to be going over our top 10 films of 2019 so far. We're going to also discuss two trailers today, Queen and Slim and The Good Liar. We're going to go over the polls. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you all really, really enjoy it. Here today to help me with this podcast, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Deanne Knighton. Hi, friends. Casey Lee Clark. Hello. And... First of two new people to the website. You might have seen her on Twitter. You might have seen her at other websites such as Filmotomy. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing to Next Best Picture, I have Bianca Garner, everyone. Hi, everyone. Thanks for um, having me join you guys. I'm really excited. (laughs) And thank you so much, too, for accommodating us all the way from the other end of the world, as far as I'm concerned, (laughs) over in Europe. (laughs) Uh, we previously did have a UK contributor, uh, Liam. He has gone on to do uh, other things, and he's uh, doing really, really well. Uh, but we're really, really happy to have somebody else representing us over there on the other side of the world. So thank you so much, uh, Bianca, for joining us. We hope that everyone here that is not familiar with you gets to uh, know you pretty soon. And I think today's episode will do just that. But also, we have another person. Ladies and gentlemen. Introducing for the first time ever on the Next Best Picture podcast, we have Lauren LaMagna. Hi, everybody. I'm just like Bianca. I'm excited to be here and start, and I'm just really excited for what's going to happen. Now, Lauren, tell everyone where they can see some of your work uh, prior to uh, now coming on board with NBP. Um, You can follow, I'm always on Twitter at Lauren LaMango. I've written for... Real Honey, and I'm also a contributing member to the Simple Cinephile. I love Simply Cinephile. Yeah, it's great. Great content over there. And Bianca, for those that don't already follow you on Twitter, uh, tell everyone where they can find your work on the internet right now. Um, so you can find my work over at filmotomy.com. I also have uh, written for uh, the likes of Ready Steady Cut and uh, Jumps jump cut online and you can find me mostly over at twitter at cineb2 so just just tweeting about stuff you know randomly about film <laughs> <laughs> well we love to talk about film here that is exactly what we are going to do but i want to go around i always like to open up our episodes with catching up on what it is that we have been watching so far either at home or in the movie theater so i'm going to start off with michael michael what did you catch up on this week well, this was a little bit of a strange week because I did get to the movie theaters twice, 
but what I ended up seeing was not necessarily expected. I was hoping to catch up with yesterday, the Danny Boyle film, but what I ended up doing, believe it or not, was seeing Toy Story 4 twice this week, a second and third time. Jeez. Or not. <laughs> uh, just by chance of having a lot of people who had wanted to see it and asking me if I would go. I'm like, well, I love Toy Story 4, so I have AMC A-list, so why not? The worst things to do. So there's lots I want to catch up with still, but I was happy to catch up with a Toy Story 4, or I should say revisit Toy Story 4 a few times, and it was as wonderful as the reviews made it out to be, of course. Uh, I loved it the first time I saw it, but just really appreciated it on a whole different level during these rewatches. So that, that's not something that typically happens with me to see something that many times in the theater. So, Oh, don't be so modest. <laughs> How many times did you see Lady Bird in the theater, Michael? Usually I top out at about three, and I think Lady Bird and like Mary Poppins, usually my favorite movie of the year, I end up seeing about three times. Mm, so okay. Who knows what happens with this one now? We'll see. We'll see if something can crack four times this year. All right. Casey Lee Clark. Uh, I had a slow week. I pulled a Michael. So. Oh, it's okay. It happens. We're about to have a very packed July, so yeah. I totally understand. Yeah, catching up on some like uh, work that's end of the month type things have taken up my time and guesting on other podcasts this week, which you can find on my Twitter. I watch a lot of movies for those, so that took up my time. And then I'm about to go on vacation, so then there'll be not much movie watching then either. So once once that second week of July hits, we'll be picking back up. Where are you going on vacation? Uh, Ocean City, Maryland. Oh, nice. The there you go. Deanne, how about you? Uh, yeah, I saw Late Night finally, uh, which was an, a pl- very pleasant su- surprise. I really enjoyed that, and we'll talk about that. Spoiler alert when we get to the top 10, so I'll save my thoughts for that. Um, and then I also did catch up with yesterday... I actually fall with Josh um, on this film. It just did not work for me for a variety of reasons. I felt like ultimately it was just trying to do too many things. You know, there's this plot device hook and Danny Boyle not really doing Danny Boyle. And then the characters just not being enjoyable enough to want to spend two hours with, I'm afraid. So, I mean, overall, I, I was I was sad to not be able to enjoy that. Um, but nevertheless, um, that's all right. So that that was it for me this week. What I find very fascinating about yesterday right now is that despite the divide with critics, because even on our own podcast that we did this weekend, uh, we were all over the place with our opinions on this movie. I find it very fascinating that audiences are flocking to see this movie, not necessarily in a big blockbuster sort of way, but I mean, it's projected to do very well this weekend. Isn't that right, Michael? Yeah, it looks like it's going to finish uh, just shy of 20 million this weekend. Yeah, that's pretty good, all things considered. And then if word of mouth, I mean, it is like one of those, I don't want to say guaranteed crowd pleasers, but it has like so many different elements that on paper you look at it and you go, well, of course, of course, audiences are going to eat this up. And I, I think that that was my biggest issue with the movie was that I kind of saw through that a little too much. And it almost came off as like disingenuous to me. And I, I, I'm i kind of leaning with you there, Deanne, that it tried to do too much. But hey, listen, I don't want to ramble too much on yesterday. We have a whole podcast that went pretty deep into it, all things considered. But the interesting thing will be uh, to see how audiences respond to it, uh, box office wise, yeah. especially. Oh, here we go. The numbers just came out. Oh, there you go. What wow. do you got? 17 million this weekend with an A minus cinema score. All right. So 17 million, a little bit below. I mean, I think anything over 20 would have been great. It's still good. It cost 26, so they're probably very happy. Yeah, yeah. And the A-minus cinema score, I think, definitely helps. They have a whole 4th of July week with people going to the movies. 
Yeah. You know, and Richard Curtis, between Bridget Jones and Love Ashley Notting Hill and About Time, all of those, they're all about the characters and wanting to hang out with those people. And I will say that I think in the case of all four of those movies, I did like them better the second time. And they like really grew on me with more time. So, you know, maybe there's some potential there. We'll see. I think Richard Curtis has found his niche because if you remember last year, he had a story by credit on Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. So maybe he's entering jukebox territory. Maybe. Just maybe. We'll have to wait and see there. All right. Bianca, what about yourself? I know that you were actually at the uh, Edinburgh Film Festival, so you must have seen a lot. Um, yeah, I've seen. I was trying to tally it all up, and I still need to add to my list. But I've seen nearly 30 films. Jeez, Louise. Wow. So, oh, my so, God. What, what, are, what are some of the standouts? So for me, uh, one of those films that I really enjoyed was Carmilla, um, which is this um, f- film uh, set in the sort of 17th century uh, about a young woman who um, makes a new friend, who uh, this girl mysteriously ends up at her, ho- her house, and it's kind of like this this new girl may or may not be a witch. But it, it's a sort of a, a love story between these two two girls. But it's very, very gothic and um, is is really really beautifully like uh, shot. Um, so that was my my favorite film out of the entire festival. But um, I also saw um, the Souvenir, which was a very disappointing film for me, and I really had been hoping for something a bit more. Uh, and I was left really, um, I, I don't know. It just left me feeling very cold. And I just, I don't know. People were clapping and I was just like, really? Were we watching the same film? Um, so, yeah, there's, I, there were so many that I've seen. Um, and some of them have been really, really interesting. But some have been like, um, thank God that was on at a film festival and I wasn't paying money to see it type of thing. So, mm. uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, quite a lot of movies. I remember I saw that movie at the Sundance Film Festival and there was a lot of hype about that movie. And I too, Bianca, did not quite understand what everyone else saw in it. I also think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I saw so many movies that day and I probably was half asleep and it's the type of movie that... You definitely don't want to go in with half energy uh, because it is a very slow, very quiet. And, yeah, I might have dozed off. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I I had a coughing fit halfway through the film. um, So that probably didn't help. And it was the sixth film I was watching, you know, so um, of the day. So, you know, after watching five, five films, your mind kind of just, I don't know. Just wants to go to sleep. <laughs> sure, sure. I get it. Alrighty. Lauren, what do you got? This was an interesting week for me. I'm still I think in the beginning of this week I was still like off of the like confusion of all of Dark Phoenix. So I rewatched the original X-Men trilogy, which was just so much fun and it's just childhood nostalgia and I just love I just forgot how much those X-Men movies kind of set the bar for like the modern day comic book movies. Mm-hmm. So it was just so much fun watching those and just seeing where it went. Sure. And then late at night, I found myself watching Murder Mystery one night, which was just how did I one of those how did I get there moments. But it was like 
it was just, you know, it is what it is. I do like Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston together, but everything else about it was just not a thing. So I don't really get the Netflix numbers sometimes. Oh, they're definitely, definitely yeah. inflated. <laughs> I'm just like, guys, there's no way. Like, look, I'm, let's see, like, let's be honest, shall we? But like, I'll, I did chuckle a few times with that movie, but like, there are some people like Gemma Art and I'm just like, honey, why are we here? Like, why are you doing this? Like, you could just tell that like sometimes actors just know that they're just like not in the best situation possible and they're just like going through the motions. Sure. And it's just that like seeing that is heartbreaking to me as a viewer when like I could physically see that like someone doesn't want to be in the project that they're in. But overall, like it was, you know, it's not going to be one of my spoiler that's not on my top 10 list of the year but I love I do find myself laughing at Adam Sandler still and I don't know why I don't understand how that works but he does still get me from time to time which I think says something yeah yeah okay all right uh I only have one movie that I saw this week uh, I am planning on doing a binge of Big Little Lies this evening. I'm going to watch uh, the first three episodes. I'll watch the fourth episode tomorrow before our podcast recording, where we will be going over the first four episodes of season two. So that should be fun. But I got the chance to see Spider-Man Far From Home. And it's definitely, I would say, top tier Spider-Man, along with, you know, the, the first two Sam Raimi films, Homecoming, Into the Spider-Verse, I'd, I'd put it in there. I don't think it's in the bottom with, like, Spider-Man 3 or um, the Mark Webb Spider-Man films. But, yeah, I, I don't want to get too, too into it because there is a lot. Like, this mo- this is a lot of movie. Uh, there's um, humor. There's thrilling action. There is twists, like, really good twists. And there are some very, very fun and interesting surprises that will, I think, push the character forward into new and uncharted territory. And I cannot wait to see what Tom Holland continues to bring to the role, because for my money, I think he's the best Spider-Man ever. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. And and you know what? Uh, I will just uh, also say this, too. I was very confused by Jake Gyllenhaal's presence in the movie at first. I actually started to think that he was terribly miscast. And then uh, the second half of the movie, I was like, that is why they cast Jake Gyllenhaal. I get it now. <laughs> and I think you all will know when you see it. It's it's great. It's it's so much fun. And uh, yeah, if you loved Homecoming, it's, it's more of that. So definitely be excited now without spoiling anything i've heard that it's definitely worth sticking around for the credits here oh my yeah, god the post-credit sequence of this movie the first one there is a second one after the credits are over but the post-credits like that happen uh after the first minute or two of uh, initial credits is so so good that it literally bumped up my rating of the movie one full point and even made me consider bumping it up two points it was it was everything wow. I, I I just I screamed I literally screamed in the movie theater it was <laughs> it was fun it was definitely amazing <laughs> all right all right I don't want to uh, labor on it too much because I'm afraid I'll give it away on on the podcast here and I don't want to do that <laughs> so we will have a podcast review of that film actually this week instead of uh, the weekend we're going to be reviewing uh, both this and Midsommar this week so it's going to be a fun week of podcast reviews over here However, those films count technically as the second half of 2019 for Vera coming out uh, past 
today's date, June 30th. Now, what we're going to do is we are going to be talking about any movies from January 1st till June 30th that actually received a theatrical release. So as I said before, no festival films that have already screened like The Farewell and things like that. Otherwise, Casey, loose. I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It would be pretty simple. Yep. <laughs> uh, but we are inst- we are instead going to be talking about the movies that uh, pretty much everyone has predominantly seen. So we're going to get into it here. We're going to go one at a time, starting at number 10. We're going to work our way up. I'm going to hit everybody one at a time. And uh, please, for the sake of time, I ask that if you're talking about a movie uh, for the first time, so nobody else has mentioned this movie and you're the first one to bring it up, Feel free to, you know, go into it a little bit. But if other people have said things, keep it short, keep it sweet. Uh, I don't want this podcast to necessarily go on for four hours. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Alrighty, why don't we uh, go in alphabetical order here? So we'll start off first with Bianca. Bianca, what is your number 10 of 2019 so far? Um, so my number 10 is Captain Marvel. Um, now, I s- suspect that maybe some people would have this higher up on their list. Um, but the reason I kind of have it at just at 10 is that I really I really enjoyed this film. I, I found it quite entertaining to watch. Uh, but it's, it's not the best Marvel movie uh, of this year. And um, although Brie Larson is really, really good in it, she's, you know, funny she's um kicks ass which is you know really great uh i found that the film was just a little bit weak in terms of story and uh, that's kind of the reason why uh it's you know at my number 10 spot if it had been just a little bit sharper if the story hadn't been the sort of predictable you know origin story that we we just see so much of nowadays in terms of superheroes um then you know uh, i just wanted it to just do more in terms of um the superhero film uh but um you know uh it's just it's just good bit of um blockbuster entertainment so and yes that was me trying to do a bit of a pun there because <laughs> the blockbuster scene so <laughs> the 90s recreation in the movie is definitely uh, one of the more fun aspects of captain marvel for sure especially um I, I i do have to say one thing that sits very very well with me from that movie is the cgi of young samuel l jackson which admittedly even fooled me while watching the film. I think it's actually one of the more remarkable pieces of visual effects I have seen this year. Martin Scorsese says he's listening, thinking not for long. <laughs> <laughs> Casey, number 10. So my number 10, I saw at a festival back in October, but it got its theatrical release in 2019. So it counts. And that's a Brazilian film called Diamantino. And it's kind of about a like, Cristiano Ronaldo level um, soccer player who has these like evil set of twin sisters and like they're trying to take his money and he's there's also like 
propaganda in there that they're trying to get him a part of to get money. And it's very weird, but it's a lot of fun. Um, I would definitely recommend it just as something different to see. And yeah, I don't want to say too much about it because it's very weird and I wouldn't want to spoil that for people. I have not seen that. So I am going to accept the recommendation and I am going to add it to the list. Deanne, number 10. Number 10 for me is Hail Satan, um, which is a documentary about the Satanic Temple, which I found to be a very pleasant surprise in terms of messaging just around activism and and kind of something being not what you expect. So just like just for the sake of this, I want to read to you a couple of the tenets of the Satanic Temple. And I'm telling you, you're going to want to join. Um, one should strive. <laughs> listen, yeah. One should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. The struggle for justice is ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. The freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. Where, where do I sign up? <laughs> I know, right? Not that. So it just gives you a little bit of a taste of something that obviously, you know, um, j- just has all of this mystique around it. And um, the film kind of turns that on its head. And it's really fascinating. So I definitely recommend it. Lauren, number 10. My number 10 is long shot. It's just, I feel that in the world of like really big temple movies and really small, awesome indie films, we're kind of losing those like middle tier romantic comedy guys. So it's really a breath of fresh air when one comes out and it's really cute and it's really fun. And it just makes you feel good and believe in love again. I know it sounds weird, but you just like want to just see two people connect and like have a great relationship. And Seth Rogen, he's like a hit or miss for me. Sometimes he's a little too much for me and sometimes he makes me uncomfortable. But this was a really good one. It wasn't totally on the nose. It knew what it was and it just had fun. And I thought Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron were great in their roles. I love seeing Charlize Theron do comedy. It's a breath of fresh air. And I think she's really good in the genre and she should do more of it. And it was just a really, it was a surprise. It was cute. It was funny. And it was just, it was, I was happy leaving the theater and it was just a nice feeling just to go in and see a cute little movie that I feel like aren't really made anymore these days. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you on that. And I, uh, even though it may not be necessarily like my favorite comedy of this year, Mm -hmm. I agree with you in terms of the, uh, mid tier adult, uh, you know, mid, mid budget type of film. Yeah. There's like a gap in there. And I want that to come back, especially for like filmmakers in that in that realm pretty woman for a new era as Mm -hmm. it was uh, often said and i thought it was a lot of fun yeah Uh, my number 10 is arctic starring mads mickelson and for the most part only mads mickelson Uh, it's one of those survival films where it's a predominantly one-man show and i think it is one of the best performances i have seen this year um it makes the revenant look like it's a cartoon almost because of how realistic uh, the portrayal is of this man just trying to survive somewhere in the Arctic Circle and trying to get rescue. I mean, every single step that this man takes, every single decision, everything that he does, mostly with no dialogue, is absolutely riveting. The uh, director of this film, Joe Pena, who is... A musician actually he uh, directed this film it's his first movie ever and I just was 
blown away by it. It was a very, very nice surprise in the early part of 2019. I think it came out like in February, but it came and went. So if you're looking for something, though, that is, uh, you know, led by a very, very strong performance, I would highly recommend Arctic. Michael, number 10. Yeah, so I should just uh, preface this by saying I've only seen 14 movies this year, and I really only love two of them. I, I sort of like the rest, so take this as my by default top 10, because again, we're dealing with just the first half of the year. So uh, my number 10 on this list is Greta, the thriller that came out in March with Isabelle Huppert. And not necessarily a great film, but there's great Isabelle Huppert performance at the center of it, and that's always fun to watch. Uh, sort of a stalker film, feels like it's taken straight out of the 90s, one of these, you know, stalker films about, you know, character actress they used to call this a exploitation back in the day like hush has sweet charlotte or uh, uh what's the matter with baby jane you know it's just one of these character-based films not much aside from that but it, it's just worth seeing for the isabel Huppert performance alone all right all right and i meant to say what happened to baby jane not what's the matter with baby jane i don't know where that mm-hmm. came from <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna correct you but i was like he'll figure it out <laughs> <laughs> bianca number nine um, so I've gone with Climax. Ooh, yeah. Um, which at first is a film I didn't like <laughs> because it's such a bonkers movie. And my first initial response was, uh, this film I, is too crazy. I don't like it. But uh, after going away and, and thinking about it and, and then rewatching it again, I kind of fell in love with it in terms of it's just so it's probably the best horror film I've seen of this year. And this year hasn't been very good with horror. Um, and I just loved the, the feeling of dread uh, that you have. You know that something's going to happen to to all of these dancers. And, uh, and it's the sort of horror of people losing themselves and becoming like... Uh, losing their humanity and i i just love how crazy it all gets at the end and and just even though it's only 90 minutes long it feels longer just because of the it's like a endless nightmare um that's going on and um it's a really unsettling movie and i think it's uh um one that i i just i've seen uh, and I just can't stop thinking about it. So, yeah, I uh, I don't know whether I, I really love it or hate it. I'm still trying to decide which. <laughs> I, I think you summed up my own thoughts on that movie absolutely perfectly there. I, I would have nothing to add. Uh, that that film was an experience. Let's just let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Casey, number nine. My number nine is another one that had an earlier festival run, but it came out in 2019, so we're counting it. Um, and that's Unicorn Store from Brie Larson. It's not the best movie ever. I think the script is probably pretty flawed and the plot line's basic, but I don't know. It just tapped into this whimsical little kid side of me that I just loved so much, and I loved the costumes and the look of everything, and... It seems like the kind of thing that I could just put on for fun whenever. And yeah, I don't know. It just, I really liked it. And I saw a lot of myself in the main character and that was nice. Okay, cool. Alrighty. So moving on down the list here, we are now up to Deanne, number nine. 
Yeah, number nine for me is Captain Marvel. And the only thing I'll say there is that what I loved was um, the connection with Lashana Lynch's character, Maria Rambo, and Captain Marvel, and that friendship and women supporting other women, much like the women on this podcast today, supporting each other. Yes. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, um, I won't say more because we've already talked about it. All right, Lauren, number nine. Mine's kind of a bit of a guilty pleasure. It's the aftermath. I don't know why. I'm just a sucker for it. I think Kara Knightley was born to be in period pieces and she should never do. Where is Nicole Hackman right now? <laughs> I feel like you two would be best friends. Really? <laughs> she's obsessed with period pieces. I don't get how she's just, that's just how she was born to like be an actor. And she just needs, she just shines in any film that doesn't take place in the 21st century. I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> I think the costumes in this are great. There's one dress that is so like, it's, I want to say like it's a tier below um, the iconic dress from um, the iconic drink green dress that Keira Knightley wears. And Atonement, so yeah. Good. Yeah, it was beautiful. And, you know, Alexander Skarsgård is just gorgeous and he could do anything and make me blush. And he's, again, this film knows what it is. It's not perfect. It's not amazing. But it's an interesting concept. And I've never seen a concept like this, which is, you know, Keira Knightley is a British woman and comes to Germany with her husband and lives in a house with a German man who's Alexander Skarsgård. And it's just about, you know, where they stood during the war and like, how do they move on as a human society, which I think is an interesting topic. And again, then there's the love triangle. But I think both Keira Knightley and Alexander Skarsgård are great, beautiful actors and they could do no wrong and they just have fun in it. So that's all I'll say there. Yeah. Okay, my number nine, I get to talk about this one, is Rocket Man with Taron Edgerton playing Elton John. Uh, this worked for me where Bohemian Rhapsody did not. I really, really loved the fantastical approach that Dexter Fletcher took with this movie in terms of the filmmaking styles and techniques. Yes, the one drawback to the movie is that it does fall into some of the genre cliches of the musical biopic, but I think Taron's performance is incredibly strong, easily the best work of his career so far, and there's really good supporting work as well from Jamie Bell, and of course, there's the music. I mean, Elton is one of those multi-generational, uh, worldwide phenomenons who just has this ability with his songs to capture your hearts and your imagination and just let it soar. And I think the film perfectly captures the essence of who he is, even if there are, you know, some things omitted, admittedly. Um, I really did appreciate that this movie felt like it didn't try to hold back, though, in terms of the uh, drugs, the alcohol, the abuse uh, that he uh, went through during that time in his life. It, it felt like the punches were not being pulled. And I really, really appreciated that compared to a four time Oscar winning film from last year. So <laughs> uh, Rocketman, number nine. Michael, what is your number nine? My number nine is Booksmart. Oh, you get to talk about Booksmart. And how funny yes. is it that, ironically, it is probably the lowest on your list compared to the rest of us? <laughs> right. And I won't go into so much detail about it because I know there are a lot of other people here who probably love it more than I do. Uh, I wasn't quite as over the moon about it as everyone else on the Internet seems to be. But at the same time, it is a consistently funny movie. Laughs from beginning to end. Also, a few really poignant moments there, beautifully acted by Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver. Uh, great supporting cast, too. Everyone from uh, Molly Gordon to, uh, my God, uh, Billy Lord. Daughter. Billy, Billy Lord. Lord. Billy Lord, yes. Uh, 
So just great teen comedy and worth checking out. I know a lot of people in our circles have seen it, but the rest of the world to really check it out because it's just a really funny movie. Okay, Bianca, we're up to number eight now. Um, so my number eight film is Destroyer. Um, oh, wait, we- hold on. I hate to break it to you. We count that technically as 2018. Oh, no, but it came out here in the UK. Oh, okay. Well, that's all right. Well, think about this way. Think about from this perspective. Um, What year does it qualify for the Oscars? And technically, it was for Uh, last year's then. It's so, so annoying when it with this. Um, What was your number? What was your number 11? Maybe we can uh, go, you know, (laughs) maybe we could do that and we can like bump everything like up a notch. (laughs) Okay, so I guess my number 11 would be, um, well... I, I know, I threw, to... I threw you for a loop with that. I apologize. <laughs> um, it probably would be Amazing Grace. Okay. Uh, which uh, is the documentary um, based on, uh, you know, Aretha Franklin's, you know, uh, recording of um, the best-selling album, Amazing Grace. Uh, but it's using all the footage that was originally shot in the 1970s and the sound, I believe all the actual, um, you know, voice recording uh, didn't sync up with the footage. And now they sort of brought it back and have recreated the film. So um, they've synced it all up with, so with the image and the actual, you know, music. So it actually works properly now. And the fact that, you, you can see her perform. Uh, it really just has such an impact on you and is a really good documentary that I think has possibly got slightly overlooked by other documentaries this year. And um, it, it just left me sort of... Um, it was like stepping into a time machine and going back in time. So it was such a surreal experience. Uh, and was possibly one of the best experiences I've had in a cinema this this year so far. Now, I know everybody is probably uh, yelling at me right now because I said this whole thing about Oscar qualifying runs and such. And technically speaking, Amazing Grace's Oscar qualifying run was last year. However, its worldwide release was April 5th, 2019. And this movie has had a very weird theatrical rollout <laughs> yeah, technically it's like the best movie of 1971 or something like that <laughs> <laughs> so i i will i i know i understand i'm trying to set guidelines here but i for the sake of not having not driving bianca crazy i i, I will also <laughs> let this one slide and i'll also just throw out there too that um i recently watched destroyer actually for a second time and it got better for me on a second viewing so for those who maybe wrote it off initially um i don't know maybe go back and take a look see what's up all righty, Casey, we're up to number eight. Number eight. My number eight is Long Day's Journey into Night, which is a Chinese neo-noir kind of film. And this is one that I feel like it's a gimmick film, but the gimmick works. So you get 3D glasses of this movie, and there's a, th- a thing, a warning at the beginning that's like, when the main character puts on 3D glasses, you put on 3D glasses. So at about like an hour in, the main character goes into a theater and puts on glasses, and then you go into a 45-minute-long, one-take, 3D dream sequence, and it's great. And you get all of these callbacks to things that are briefly mentioned in the beginning of the film and whatnot, and it's it's really interesting. I don't fully understand it, but I think that's okay. 
And I, yeah, I think that's something that people should check out. I do know that the 3D part for its actual theatrical release was only, I think, in New York and L.A., which is kind of unfortunate. But if you're ever given the opportunity, I guess, to see it in the 3D, I would 100% go for it. It's unlike anything I've ever seen, really. And the cinematography is phenomenal. Yeah, I unfortunately missed this film at NYFF, and I don't know if I'll ever be able to see it in that experience that you described there. So that's definitely a heartbreaker for me. Uh, But I have heard massive praise about that sequence. And even like you said, even if the rest of the film kind of doesn't fit or it doesn't make sense, I've heard that that shot alone is worth your time, essentially. So, yeah. All righty. Moving through here, number eight, we are now up to Deanne. Yeah, number eight is also a repeat for me with Longshot. And um, what I'll just say quickly there, because it kind of plays into the rest of my top ten list, is is kind of a theme, is what I have found myself really drawn to this year is films that are, you know, a specific genre like uh, comedy, horror, children's film, whatever that might be. And then what is that kind of over underlying message, like the fortune cookie, like that you open up and get out of the film. Um, And I think that films um, in particular, a lot of the blockbusters have had some interesting messages come across. And I think that's important given that people are seeing fewer and fewer films. So um, for that reason, I think Longshot um, did a really good job of, um, you know, drawing in a crowd for what it was, but also having something to say in particular, there's a really great scene just about um, understanding each other and compassion for different viewpoints that was really meaningful so um yay for long shot lauren number eight mine is fighting with my family i feel like this was the first film of the year for me that like truly like i think i called it like the first like hit for me of the year and it, again i knew and it's the it's a biopic about um the wwe fighter page who i knew nothing about and I just learned so much and I became super interested in it. I think Florence Pugh is amazing and I'm really excited for her career. If she's not a household name by now, she definitely will be in the next coming weeks. And if she's not by then, definitely will be in the next year. I will tell you that she is here to stay. (laughs) Midsummer is incredible. She is. And I'm really looking forward to what she's going to be doing in like the next couple of years, especially as she's entering into a whole new world with, you know, Marvel and everything. And it was just really fun seeing her really like take command and just be awesome and kick ass. And the box, the fighting scenes were really cool. And just, you know, and and then also the story of, you know, leaving your home for the first time and trying to figure out who you are without the security of your family, which I think as a young woman, I really related to that a lot. Nice. Awesome. Uh, so my number eight is Late Night. Uh, the film that I saw back at Sundance and I saw again when we did our podcast review here. And I thought that this film, for all of its charms, for everything that it was trying to say uh, about people's relationships within the workplace and just honestly, like in terms of just uh, equality as well for, for women in terms of respect, pay and so on and so forth, like all these different things that came to the forefront. I just remember thinking, I, I don't know other movies that are tackling like the issues that this movie's tackling head on like this right now. And for that alone, I really, really respect it. I also think it's quite funny at times as well. And Emma Thompson has uh, delivered one of my favorite performances in it uh, too. I know she often has been compared to Meryl Streep and The Devil Wears Prada, and I do think Meryl Streep is better at playing that type of role, but 
that's not a knock against what Emma Thompson does here. Um, and I think the rest of the supporting cast uh, from all the men in the writer's room uh, and, of course, Mindy Kaling. Come on. Uh, you know, it, it, it all kind of just clicks together to create this crowd-pleasing, nice, indie um film that honestly like kind of it's so weird that it was at Sundance because it, it just feels so much more accessible and marketable from a large studio and I really wish that it had found a bigger following because I do think like I said some of the issues that it brings up are very very important so alrighty I'm moving on for myself Michael what do you got I have How to Train Your Dragon the Hidden World okay which I think ends this franchise on a really beautiful and poignant note, uh, just like another animated film we'll be talking about in a little bit. But uh, it's just a beautiful movie, beautiful franchise, and who doesn't love seeing Toothless? Yeah, isn't that true? Um, I will. I do remember saying that, even though it's for me it's the weakest of the three, that final 10 minutes is just chef's kiss. You know? It's phenomenal. Yeah, perfect, perfect, perfect. Bianca, we have made it to number seven. What is number seven? Um, so number seven for me is sh- says Shazam. I can't say it. Shazam. Got it. Got to emphasize that exclamation point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I just really, really like this film in terms of the fact that um, it works well as a, a standalone film that really isn't necessarily connected to the rest of the the DC universe and uh, that was great because uh, the DC films at the moment haven't got the necessarily great track record um, Suicide Squad anyone and I just thought this film really just forgot all about those other movies and just focused on what was what what we sort of needed which was a, a good comedy action film that kind of reminded me of a lot of like 80s cinema um, and just got on with telling a good story and I just found it really funny I just you know it's not the best movie it's not really necessarily groundbreaking but it was just a really good sort of way to to pass the time and um, yeah if if you know if DC can continue producing that type of film, then maybe they might have a chance. Um, so we'll just have to see. But yes, Shazam is is actually really good, surprisingly. <laughs> I was very surprised by it too because I thought it looked awful before I went in to go <laughs> see it. And I was pleasantly surprised as well. Uh, Casey, number seven. My number seven is a movie that was brought up earlier, but not necessarily in this top 10 list context, but that's The Souvenir. And I did find it very beautiful and honest and whatever, but I will say I think that your criticisms are incredibly valid, and it's the kind of thing that I could totally see somebody getting out of this film and feeling that way. Um, I just, I found, I, I like slower, quiet films like that that don't tell you everything, personally. I liked the world that it sat in I liked the music I thought that Honor Swinton Byrne was good I thought that Tilda Swinton even in her small role as her mother and in real life as well um I thought she's just reminding me again about how great of an actress she is and yeah I do think that yeah it's a little quiet too quiet for its own good and I don't let's put it this way I don't see it being on my top 10 by the end of the year but it's a nice placeholder and it was a nice nice time at the movies and I thought that it 
talked about some important things. It introduced us too to some talent to keep an eye on as well. Yeah. That that that's definitely I think uh, maybe the best takeaway uh, from the movie, and I can't wait to see where uh, some of those uh, ladies where their careers go from there. So, Deanne, number seven, and the first one to talk about it. Number seven, and I am the first one to talk about it, but I almost feel like we need to let somebody who maybe feels even more passionately talk about this one because it's us, and I have a feeling it's going to show up on a lot of lists. And I um, love this film that um, makes film Twitter go crazy and has uh, 50,000 different interpretations. So much fun to be a part of that, and um, I really did like the film overall. I wrestled with where to put it on my list, but this is where it ended up. Yeah. Uh, going down the list here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, all right. Number seven, Lauren. My number seven is extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. I think I like this film more about what it has to say than the film actually itself. I find the way this film was made and the point of view and the perspective that we get is really different and really interesting. And I like that. And I like when a filmmaker goes the unconventional route and I find it interesting how, you know, this is the Ted Bundy story. I like how, you know, Ted Bundy isn't the viewpoint of the story. He's His perspective really is silence in a way, which I find kind of interesting and thought-provoking. I think Zac Efron is his strongest to date in this role. I think he, with this version of Ted Bundy that the screenplay and the director calls for, I think he does a good job with it. And I think he's scratching the surface at what could be a really great dramatic career if he wants to go that route and I could see him really getting much more getting stronger and getting much more better roles as he gets older so it showed me a different side to him as an actor and I really like the perspective that it goes which to me like goes over you know the actual like lesser parts of the film itself sure yeah Uh, my number seven is climax and all I have to add to that is that it's one of the few films ever that made me feel like I was on drugs while watching the movie and not taking drugs. <laughs> Michael, number seven. My number seven is also Jordan Peele's Us, which is a really, really solid movie. Great performance by Lupita Nyong'o. Really smart screenplay. Of course, everyone was comparing it and will continue to compare it to Get Out, which I think is a far superior film. But this is going a lot of interesting directions. It's great to see Jordan Peele grow as a filmmaker. And I'm excited to see what he does next. Bianca, number six. Um, so I'm probably the first one to talk about this, but uh, it's Avengers Endgame. Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, you may or may not have heard of this film. Uh, I, don't do, <laughs> I don't think it did very well at the box office. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I guess that people probably have it higher on their list. So um, I'm happy to, to move on quickly onto someone else and then, you know, uh, you know, allow someone to, to be more vocal and passionate about it. <laughs> Sticking with the uh, Marvel films, because I kind of have some of your lists in front of me right now. Casey, number six. Yeah. So my number six is Captain Marvel, which has been touched upon earlier. And I feel like I need to make a point here and say that I'm not really a Marvel person or a superhero movie person. I've seen maybe seven movies in the MCU at this point. Um, And I think seeing Captain Marvel allowed me to reflect on why that is and why I think the only ever 
superhero properties or movies or whatever that I ever gravitated to as a kid up till now were the ones that involved women and ones that I felt like I could see myself in them. And so I found that very important. And I thought about how much a younger me would have loved Captain Marvel so much. And I, I just, I love Brie Larson so, so much. And I love the soundtrack and I just had a blast. And I think that, you know, it's nice to have those kinds of movies. Deanne, number six. Number six for me is Gloria Bell, um, which I'm excited to talk about. I, you know, this film is, it's, it's a quiet film. There's not a ton going on. It's um, very much, uh, you know, just kind of a quiet journey towards, you know, self-acceptance and um, self-love. And I think Julianne Moore is fantastic. It has my favorite, one of my favorite scenes that will probably end up to be one of my favorite scenes of the year, just in terms of like wanting to stand up in the theater and shout like, yes, go girl, like that kind of thing. Um, and um, also, I mean, who just doesn't love the idea of going to like a disco and meeting guys in their middle age. Like I am, I have said this on the podcast before. I am like, why does Salt Lake City not have this club where I can go dance disco? Because I like sign me up for that. So um, anyway, I, I love this film, and um, I think Julianne Moore is just a treasure. So Lauren, number six. My number six is a small film called A Vigilante. It's about a vigilante. It's Olivia Wilde, and she is like a call for hire to help victims escape domestic abusers. It's a really small film. I feel like it had a really small like select release a couple months ago. It's on iTunes right now. And I think it's an amazing small little film. I think Olivia Wilde's amazing. I think it's one of the top performances of the year so far for me. I've never seen, again, it doesn't pull punches. It goes really deep and it tells exactly what it wants to tell without being offensive without being gratuitous it just it tells you what's going on and you really feel for the character I won't give too much away because I really do feel like everyone should see it and see what they want to say but I think it's Olivia Wilde's best performance to date as well and I think she's having a great year and I want to see her make more film and be in more film and I just love this film so much I have this one on my list as well it was one that I uh, missed earlier in the year and I have heard tremendous things about Olivia Wilde in this it is the shock for me the lead actress performances of this year so far have just been absolutely stellar across the board just so much talent my number six is Apollo 11 The documentary that just completely, completely blew me away in terms of its scale. I am not really a person that likes footage documentaries. I typically do need the talking heads to kind of guide me through the story that is being told. And I think what worked for me so much with Apollo 11 were the technical elements, the grand visuals. I I can't believe the footage, how pristine and how amazing it looked. It it just like the wow factor with this movie uh, and not just with the visuals, but also the sound, the score is is some of my favorite work of this year as well. And then when I found out like what they had to do to actually edit this movie, how they had 11,000 hours of audio uh, to go through and figure out which they wanted, which piece they wanted to splice in to help tell the story because it, it, it feels like it plays out in real time, but obviously it doesn't. It just hits on all the necessary beats to keep things riveting throughout. And I also think, too, it's a perfect companion piece to First Man 
if you're ever going to do any kind of a double feature of something along that those lines. So for its technical work and just the sheer wow factor, I think Apollo 11 is just majestic. Michael, number six. Yeah, so I'm about to put on my Mickey Mouse ears because I'm about to become a Disney shill for the rest <laughs> of this episode. Uh, my number six is Dumbo, which I know not everyone liked earlier this year. But I really appreciated the Tim Burtonness of it all. I think it was his best work in a really long time. He took this 1940 Disney classic movie that's just about 80 years old, and he put a new twist on it. He expanded it out to almost two hours, added characters that we didn't know before. Some of it worked, some of it really didn't work. But just seeing that elephant fly around and you know a really fun Michael Keaton performance, great Danny DeVito performance, I liked seeing his vision come to life. And that's something that I haven't been able to say in a very long time. So not a perfect film by any means, but just a fun time at the movies. Okay, now what we're going to do is we're actually going to take a quick break here to discuss one of our trailers for uh, this week's show. And then we're going to come back and we're all going to deliver then our top fives then. So I want to uh, take a moment here to talk about a trailer that dropped kind of out of nowhere. I, I This was not on my radar at all, but I have to say I was genuinely really excited by uh, this trailer. It's uh, written by Lena Waithe, stars Daniel Kaluuya, Jodie Turner-Smith. It is called Queen and Celine. Limb. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one and let's give our thoughts. What made you pick me? I liked your picture. What? You had this sad look on your face. I felt sorry for you. Damn. So what happens tonight? Did you think we were gonna have sex? Nah. <laughs> no. I thought we were gonna hang out. Maybe get to know each other. You're swerving a little bit back there. Go ahead and ask you to step out of the vehicle for me. Are you serious? Why is he under arrest? Just chill, just chill! Get back in the car, you're going to jail too! What do you want? I want to ride or die. Cop killers! Cop killers! It was self defense. There is nothing back there for us. In the black money and class. Is this y'all? Power to the people. I ain't gonna bend the world. As long as my lady remembers me fondly, that's all I need. Can I be your legacy? You already are. This snuck up on me too, Matt, and I was very excited after seeing this trailer. Um, obviously, Daniel Kaluuya is amazing, and I can't wait to see that. But um, also, uh, Lena Waithe and just her work on um, Master of None and um, all of the people kind of involved with this and seeing what they can do with this medium is going to be really exciting. I'm just so excited for this film. I think the visual style is incredible. I'm, I'm blanking on the director's name, but... Melina Matsukas, I, I want to say it is. Yeah, and she's known for directing a bunch of... Beyonce videos, including a lot of sections of Lemonade, and her visual style is so incredible, and you see that a lot in this trailer that I think elevates it to beyond just being like a normal thriller or whatever, and I think that's really exciting. I think for me, the most exciting aspect of it, and I'm glad that the trailer kind of called it out too, was I like when movies take 
older concepts and they update them for a modern audience. And so when somebody said, oh, the Black Bonnie and Clyde and the fact that it's called Queen and Slim, like how that title mimics Bonnie and Clyde, I I, I think the comparison is just so apparent that uh, yet, even though it's not what you would consider to be a remake, uh, it's still something that I was very, very intrigued by. And I said to myself, you know what? This is being told from totally different perspective. Obviously, it takes place in uh, the present day. I, I, I'm really intrigued by that because even though we know how that story uh, ends up, um, I'm really, really excited to see how that plays in today's uh, themes and um, social issues that are also going on as well. Another trend I'm loving is Sturgill Simpson showing up in movies, and um, he must be on his way to, like, an EGOT or something. I don't know, but um, he has, like, two of my favorite albums of the decade by far, and and then obviously he did this, uh, so, the original song in Dead Don't Die, and then now he decided to, like, play this cop role in this film. So, you know, I'm in for that. I'll take any Sturgill Simpson I can get. Um, I just want to say that uh, this looks so slick in in the way it's shot it has a really so glossy look to it it looks really uh it doesn't look like anything quite else i've seen in terms of trailers um so far and because we don't really necessarily not too much is given away um we're sort of just given sort of the bare bones of of what the the premise is and sort of setting up the story it's really intriguing i i think it's going to be a a film that has potentially an unexpected plot twist in it which I, you know, I, I'm quite excited about because we all know how the sort of story of Bonnie and Clyde goes down. Um, not to spoil it for anyone who doesn't know history, but um, I, I think there's potential for this to do something completely new with that sort of doomed um, romance. It's you know subgenre if 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 it's a subgenre, um, but uh, yeah, it just definitely has a lot of potential uh, and looks you know visually quite a stunning movie okay yeah no i i definitely think so i think that there is an element to this that could lead it to be uh more tragic i think it has the potential to actually be uh one of the more dramatic and thrilling films of this year and uh as we all kind of touched upon as well the fact that it kind of came out of nowhere um with a november 27th release from universal pictures I definitely, 100%, can see this making its way through some of the festivals in August, September. Uh, Where do you think you would end up, Michael, if anything? Uh, This shouts Toronto to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll keep our eyes open. We'll see what happens. Uh, Definitely very, very excited for this one now. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love. Movies. 
And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutia shut up, here. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And I wonder who the cat can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Okay. Let's head back over to the lists. Number five, Bianca. What do you got there? Um, so my number five is Wild Rose. Ah, yes. I love this movie so much. Uh, the country music is not a big thing here in the UK. Like, we don't have a big country music scene. Um, so the fact that this, this film is about a, a young um, Scottish woman tr- trying to make it as a country star is something that we, you know, I've never seen in a British film and it's just such a great movie in terms of just uh, a really interesting female lead who's quite flawed and you know she's not a a good character but she's not a a bad person and she's just trying to follow her dream and I think it's a very interesting film in in terms of looking at motherhood as well Uh, and Jessie Buckley is superb in this and uh, I think she is fastly becoming one of my favorite actresses especially with like the likes of Chernobyl uh, and Beast as well which came out last year she's really she she's one of those actresses I think who's kind of like a chameleon she can kind of get lost in in the character and you you know you can suddenly be like that's her you know she's just so she has she's kind of like Meryl Streep I think uh, mm. In terms of taking on roles and, and be, you know, losing herself in them and becoming this person that she's playing. So I really, really hope that her career continues, you know, to to keep going the way that it is. And I think she's definitely got it in her to become a future Oscar winner. I concur everything that you just said, 100%. I think she is going to be someone to watch and i think she's extremely versatile in the small bits that we've seen her in so far and i think that there is so so much potential there so much especially because she comes from the stage she has um obviously musical talent as well there's a lot going on there so really really looking forward to seeing what she does next casey number five yeah piggybacking off of my Off of my number six my number five is avengers endgame which like i said not a marvel person I don't know how we got here. Um, but yeah, I think despite like having not seen all of them, like I'm, you know, culturally aware and I know what happens in the majority of them and the arcs of these characters and stuff. So that I found it so incredibly compelling and riveting. And I was never bored in that runtime, which shocked me because I was kind of dreading seeing this. And I think I think going in with that expectation, I was like so pleasantly surprised. I was moved so much. I thought there were so many interesting storytelling things that it took. And it just was really cool to be a part of this big movement, I feel like, and being in a theater with people cheering. And like, it was just kind of cool to be a part of that. And I'm like, I kind of get why people see all these movies and stuff now. I I understand. Maybe they've got me. (laughs) Deanne, number five. Number five for me is Booksmart, and um, I think this is the funniest movie of the year so far, by far. Uh, It has one of my favorite scenes also that'll probably end up on a scene list at some point this year, and it just is essentially when they're fighting. But, you know, they start out with fighting with words, but then it kind of moves away, and um, that entire scene and the way that plays out I think is really great. Booksmart's great. Lauren, number five? 
My name, my number five is Us. I it's a great film, and as someone who's slowly working their way into the horror genre, I love it. I love how it, your perspective on the film and on you know people and society changes every time you see it. It's always different. It's always changing, and I think it's a phenomenal film. My number five is also Us, and all I have to add to that is I love that Jordan Peele's technical ability behind the camera, the way he utilizes the editing, the score, uh, the cinematography. I thought it was a definite step up from Get Out, although I do agree with Michael. I actually think that the story of Get Out is definitely a little bit tighter, and it lends itself a little bit more to more of a crowd-pleasing element, where Us has a lot of different layers, a lot of different interpretations, and it could yield a more divided result. Still a very strong follow-up and something that makes us, you know, obviously realize that Jordan Peele is no fluke. He is the real deal. So, Michael, number five. My number five is not necessarily a tremendous movie, but it features a tremendous performance at its core that the movie sort of lives or dies upon. And that is Ma with Octavia Spencer. Oh, yeah. So like, this is very similar to Greta, same premise of the exploitation genre. But she is just so remarkable in this film. I'd say it's her best performance since The Help, which she won the, the Academy Award for. Uh, she just gets to go totally over the top, insane, but do it in a way that feels organic to the story and to the film itself. Uh, really crazy third act here. I won't give anything away. It's just worth seeing for the pure spectacle of it all but big fan of her and love seeing her being able to take over this role and have a good time with it and for that alone i'm gonna place the movie that high i can't wait for you to see loose and say oh this is her best performance since ma (laughs) (laughs) number four bianca um so my number four is late night and i think we've pretty much covered this movie already I think I liked it a lot more just because it's so refreshing to see um Emma Thompson doing comedy uh and she's she's done sort of comedy in the past but this is really a film where I think we actually see that she is a really funny person and and she really shines in this movie and I like the 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 fact that it's addressing a lot of issues that um, other comedies wouldn't touch with a barge pole so it's quite a brave film in that respect and uh, I'm, I'm just a little bit sad that it didn't really you know get the attention I think it deserved sure no it's completely understandable I get that Casey? Yeah, fitting at number four. My number four is Toy Story 4. Woohoo! All the fours. I was so surprised by this movie. I was so touched and moved, and I I loved the setting and all the new characters and the reintroduction of old characters, and I found Woody's arc so wonderful. And I, I said this on the main show last week. Of I'm I forgot how... I've just lived with these films my whole life and that I forget how much they mean to me, I think, that I'd kind of almost take them for granted. And so it was nice to be back in the world of these characters. And that was really great. All right, Deanne. 
Um, number four is Avengers Endgame for me. And I have seen all of these movies at least twice, if not three and four times in some cases. And there was just something so grand in scale in terms of this coming to a conclusion. And there's something very emotional about that. I mean, it's just it, it, the scope is incredible. And it reminds me a lot of how I feel about like certain episodic works like The Office, like when they come to an end and I get this like just kind of pit in my stomach because I feel and, and I know this isn't the end but of the Avengers, but it did have a conclusion to it that felt similar to that and um it's just really powerful when you kind of realize that these characters that have been you know kind of such a part of who you are are you know moving on in a certain way i think you know that connection to media is really interesting and powerful so i i loved this film they did a great job with it lauren yeah i'm gonna echo that because my number four is also avengers endgame i just think this movie and Infinity War were just impossible movies to make. And not only did they make them, but they were good. I still have some questions about Endgame. Not all of my questions were answered. And hopefully Spider-Man answers a few more of those before this phase of Marvel truly does end. And we continue until we start phase four. But they're they're really good movies and all. That's We've covered it all. And all, that's all i got to say about it. <laughs> all righty. Uh, my number four is The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is a movie that is just so beautiful in its cinematography, its score, its filmmaking, and is something that wowed me when I saw it at Sundance. I saw it for a second time, and I, I will admit that some of the screenplay issues kind of came through just a tad bit more for me on a second watch, um, but I still felt like I was just so transfixed by this film's uh, beauty and just the the... Oh my god, like the introduction of Jimmy Fails as both a storyteller and as an actor and Joe Talbot, the director, um, both of them are childhood friends and it's just something that is so exciting to me to see new talent like this emerge. It very much reminded me of last year with Blind Spotting. Um, and they also both take place in the same area. Um, I highly, highly, highly recommend that everybody checks this film out. Um, although I want to preface by saying that it's narrative works more on a subconscious level than really on the surface level. So know that going in and just allow yourself to be wowed over by this film's beauty because it is quite a stunner. Michael. So I have Longshot, which I know we talked about earlier, but I'll just reiterate all the points that Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen have wonderful, wonderful chemistry together. It reminded me a lot of The American President, of all things, the great romantic comedy with Michael Douglas and Annette Bening. Uh, just a great political comedy, great rom-com. We don't get nearly enough of these great romantic comedies. If I have one wish for something this movie did a little bit differently, I think it falls a little bit too much into some raunchy humor here and there. And I think it would have been a stronger film if it had just gone above that. But the scenes that work, they just truly, truly work. I wish more people had seen this because it's just great to have a movie like it. Okay, Bianca, number three um so my number three is book smart and i think we've all sort of uh, discussed this film already but i just found it again um such a great sort of uh comedic film uh told from a female perspective and it was a really interesting take on um high school life uh, and looking at the sort of the transition from from you know high school uh, to to college and and becoming an adult, and it was a film where there wasn't any bad guys necessarily, uh, and that was actually quite nice to see. Like all of the students actually 
getting along and uh, despite all of their differences. And it's just really funny. I, I just really love that Barbie doll um, sequence where they, the, you know, they're drugged and... and oh, uh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought that was so funny. And I happened to see the film uh, pretty much in a, uh, alone in a, in a theatre by myself. There were a couple of other people there. Um, so I must have been laughing really hysterically. So I apologise for those other people who were there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, again, a, a film that um, should have really had more of a impact at the box office but uh, especially here in the UK I don't think it really got the attention it, it deserved. Casey number three. Yeah so I'll just preface this by saying that my top three I feel like I've shuffled around in order a bunch so kind of you know this is just how I'm feeling right now and how I was feeling when I sent this list to Matt so but you know either way I think all three of these are very very close so take that what you will. But yeah, my number three is also book smart. I saw so much of myself in these girls. You know, I was that uncool girl that did well in school and didn't go to as many parties, but also was still, you know, very, like I'm very crude and have all these like wacky sense of humor. And I think that this film was so clever and funny, but also really touching at points. And I think that the soundtrack's incredible. And I think that Olivia Wilde has such an interesting cinematic style and I'm really looking forward to whatever she does next and I think that yeah Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver are stars and I just I yeah I wish that more people had saw this one but every person that I've met that's seen it loves it so or at least likes it so I think that's a testament and I hope that it can have a good cult following. Deanne number three. Number three for me is Late Night and just a quick note to add on to what everybody has said is I think, you know, the power of this screenplay was a really incredible surprise for me um, because it takes issues, like you mentioned, Matt, around barriers to entry, but it really elevates that because the the piece that is so complicated is once somebody breaks that barrier, then all of a sudden there's all of this pressure that is applied to who and what they're supposed to be and, and, and kind of being human becomes not allowed in some ways. And this movie takes that both in Kayling and Thompson's character and makes something I think that is really, really uh, timely and important. Loved it. Okay, cool. Lauren, number three. My number three is Rocket Man. I think Taron Edgerton was phenomenal in this. I'm we're gonna see him for the whole thing of award season, in my opinion. I thought he was phenomenal in this role. I love how this film had a theatrical element to it, with you know the music being kind of like being a being a being a musical. That's what I'm saying. It's very Ellen John. It makes sense, and it was just a great film. I. I was shocked at how much I loved and cared and learned about this man in his life. All right. Great. Uh, for me, uh, my number three is Avengers Endgame. And I have to say that the more I think about Avengers Endgame, the more I start to just appreciate it so much more. And I mean, like, so much more in the sense of, like, a Return of the King, like, level of epic storytelling, it's something that I think we all take for granted, the three-hour epic. And yes, it's a Marvel film. Yes, it's a blockbuster. I get that. But just the concept of a three-hour film is something that I don't think we get all that often. And we used to equate it to this 
big, big sweeping storytelling with things like Lawrence of Arabia and Patton and, you know, all these classic films, you know, think The Godfather. And yet a blockbuster film has that same runtime to tell its story. And I think it is quite possibly maybe the crowning jewel in all of Marvel because the way it wraps up certain character arcs, I mean, the last shot of the movie alone and how the movie chooses to go into its credits was something that I I, I just, I would never expect that level of artistry from this type of movie, but yet they did it. And it just was so satisfying. I, I'm going to just keep throwing praise at it all year because I think that we are underrating it because it is a quote unquote Marvel blockbuster. And I think that's totally unfair. I think what they've achieved here is something to really, really hold their head heads high on. All right. Number three, Michael. So my number three is yet again, another Disney movie. Like I told you, I'm going to be their show the rest of the episode. And that is Aladdin, believe it or not. Aladdin, I found to be an absolute delight and one of the best surprises of the year so far because the expectations going in were so incredibly low. I think Will Smith, this is the beginning of his comeback. He was so wonderful as the genie. Looked a little strange, admittedly. The blue did not exactly work live action. But just his charisma and his personality and all he put into this performance, it just really worked, I thought. He's great. Mina Masood, Naomi Scott, they're true stars in the making. And it's just an all-around fun movie, even if Guy Ritchie can't really direct his way through a musical number. It didn't really matter, just the energy was at the right level, and it was good for what it was. So Aladdin, fun, not going to be on the official top ten by the end of the year, but it is for the time being. Okay, Bianca, number two. Um, now, before I ask about this, I hopefully it counts, but um, it's Under the Silver Lake 2000. That does count. <laughs> Okay, phew, because I feel like this movie is a movie that uh, potentially people have forgotten about. And uh, I really just want to say how much I love it. I find that it's either um, a film that you you love or you hate. And I know that it's divided quite a few people. But it, it's definitely Andrew Garfield's uh, greatest performance to date. And I think he really sort of look kind of like with Zac Efron is kind of uh, showing that he is able to take on uh, more serious, darker roles. And it's a really interesting film that has a lot to say in, in terms of uh, masculinity, the, the Hollywood, um, you know, ecosystem and the the you know, uh, conspiracy theories. And I think it's a film that has a lot to offer uh, in terms of repeat viewings. There's, there's so much to explore. And I just think uh, in terms of its, its score, it has a really, really good score. And uh, it's a movie that just blew my mind when I first watched it. So, uh, yeah. It's kind of like Climax. You're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. <laughs> That's a film that also, for me, is something that I think rewatch rewatches of that will definitely help. I'm not, I'm not so quick to want to rewatch it again necessarily, but I think there is a lot to appreciate in that movie that was greatly overlooked um, because it is so densely packed. And it could mean so many different things to so many people when they watch it. So yeah, I, I admit that it's flawed, but... 
I have this gut feeling that that is a film that is going to be constantly revisited over time. Number two, Casey. Yeah, my number two is Rocket Man. I gushed about this so much on our podcast review for it, but I'm a massive Elton fan. I'm a massive movie musical fan, so maybe I'm biased, but it, it worked for me so well. I was moved to tears. I had tears of joy. I was just so in love with the experience of watching this and the musical numbers, and I think Taryn is just brilliant. And I, Elton John shared the Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting clip from the movie yesterday and just reminded me how much I love that movie, how much I can't wait to see it again. So, yeah. Deanne, number two. Toy Story 4, such a pleasant surprise. I think I've heard you say, Matt, one of, it's going to be one of your surprises of the year. And I think that is true for me as well and probably why it ranks so high. But I, I, it was such a great experience. And it's so weird, too, that a Pixar Disney film would be considered a surprise. But when you factor in how perfectly that trilogy wrapped up originally, yeah, I think that skeptical is the lightest term I would use to describe my feelings heading mm-hmm. into this. Me too. <laughs> but yeah, very pleasantly surprised by how well it all turned out. Number two, Lauren. My number two is Booksmart. I think Olivia Wilde, as I said, is having a phenomenal year behind and in front of the camera. And I'll just say that Billy Lord killed this movie. She's a scene stealer in every single scene that she's in. And in the perfect world, I would love to see her, you know, getting you know, critical acclaim for her role here because I think she is brilliant in it. Uh, my number two is also Toy Story 4. And what can I say? I think that Woody's character arc is maybe one of the best character arcs in the history of film. Michael, number two. My number two is Apollo 11, which I know Matt spoke about earlier. I saw this in IMAX back in March. And as a fan of, you know, just history in general, but specifically what happened 50 years ago when we went to space, when we, when we went to the moon. Seeing this footage was just truly unbelievable, not because we're seeing it for the first time, but because when we're seeing it, it looks like it was shot just yesterday. Like if it weren't for the period clothing and some of the designs, you would think that this is just filmed. It is so crystal clear. The colors really pop. But just a story about American ingenuity and how we're able to perform at our best you know, it's really a sign for what we can achieve again. You know, the best days may have happened, something that there may be even more great days ahead of us. So it was just a great story reminder of what this country can be when it's at its best. And I think the film editing here is just something to truly behold. You know, don't be afraid to nominate documentaries in the film editing category. We've seen it with uh, Hoop Dreams back in the day. Here's another opportunity if the Academy really wants to take a bold swing. I, I really hope that they do. And this would be the perfect film to do it for as well. Wow. Number one, Bianca, what is your number one favorite film of 2019 so far? Okay, so this might surprise a few people. I mean, I did like Us, um, but I haven't got it on my list. Haven't seen Toy Story 4 yet, I know. And I haven't seen Rocketman yet. And Apollo 11 won't open until next week here. Um, So therefore, um, uh, my number one is High Life. Wow. And I just uh, really, I don't know what it is this year. I'm really liking weird films that are just you know uh throw everything at at the wall and hope something sticks uh i just really found this film so bleak and just the atmosphere of dread and i'm watching 
this mystery sort of in, unfold. And Robert Patterson with a baby? I mean, what more do you want in a movie? Uh, he's so he's so good in it as well like uh, um, you know we've been saying like Zac Efron and uh, Andrew Garfield are, you know are, are showing that they can they can be serious actors well Robert Patterson is you know has been doing that for ages now and still gets uh, you know Twilight related comments made about his, him becoming Batman so uh, but this film is so bizarre and just weird and, and haunting to watch. And I just found myself so intrigued by it. And uh, I'm just drawn into this world where it, it just left me with goosebumps on it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. High Life is my number one film so far this year, <laughs> whether it stays at the, my number one film spot for the you know remainder of the year we'll just have to see I don't want to sound like a bad person or anything like that but high life just did not work for me <laughs> but I totally totally understand why it does work for some people I, I think it just I think I went in expecting something else and what I got I just wasn't able to connect to I do plan on revisiting it though because the praise is just so high that maybe I missed something so I'm willing to give it another shot I think I'm also willing to give the souvenir another shot. So. Uh, oh, I know I am definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's something about slow movies that uh, typically do not work for me. So both of those were two prime examples I've been citing so far this year. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if things change. But hey, I'm really happy that you have it there at uh, number one because I think it is a film that. Uh, is definitely worth seeing because of how unique it really is. Casey, number one. My number one's us. I, and not only do I think it's my number one so far of the year, I think it's the best film I've seen this year. I think that being a fan of horror, I can see so much of Jordan Peele's references and him being a student of film. It just is really compelling. I found it so both suspenseful, but also in a way that I was thinking about it so much after it, I still think about it all the time. It has fully gotten under my skin and gave me nightmares, but not in the way of like a traditional horror movie of scares, but in its concepts and like the basic human level of what's going on there. I think that Lupita Nyong'o is phenomenal in it. I think on a technical level, I think it's so well made. And I, I also love every supporting performance in it. And the editing and the music cues in addition to the score. I just, I personally like it more than Get Out. I don't know if it's a better movie than Get Out, but based on just my preferences and whatnot. And yeah, I just, I think about it all the time. And I, the more I think about it, the more I remember how much I like it. DN, number one. Apollo 11. Um, you know, I was in the theater uh, barely breathing as I was watching a movie about something that I know the ending to. So that right, that right there already in itself, I think, is is something that's special. Uh, there were some device. We talked about some of the great things like the editing, but there was also some storytelling devices used to help build tension around countdowns. That I like the, the some burn downs that I would sit and watch in the corner of the screen that I thought were incredibly impactful. Um, 
um, it just it was my favorite theater experience of the year. I think it's phenomenal. One of the last things I'll just say about Apollo 11 also, too, is like I, I, I can't help but feel like when they shot this footage, they didn't just shoot it like, oh, let's just point the camera and capture some of this. They like shot it with an eye for storytelling and filmmaking. Like there were some shots that, you know, I think about like all the people in the NASA control room and how the camera just like slides down the rows. And I'm just like, they have a camera like on a dolly or something like tracking like all these people. And it's like, it's amazing that it's real life. It feels like you're watching an actual fictionalized version of events in a movie. And it's just so cinematic in that way. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm continuously wowed by that film. Continuously. Yeah. Lauren, number one. My number one is John Wick 3. I think yeah, all it's right. an awesome movie. <laughs> oh, that is so awesome to hear. <laughs> I love it. I think that this film shows what happens when you keep the same creative team on a particular character and allow the slow burn of just evolution to happen. Because you start off with a simple revenge flick with the first one. And now we're building, we're slowly building a world. The it's the same creative team, the writers, the directors. I love, I love a really good R-rated action film because it lets the stunt team work and feel great and really tell the story through their stunts. And I think this is the best stunt team in the filmmaking industry. I'm so excited that Marvel got them. I love the cinematography of this film. I love the production design of this film. I think Keanu Reeves is winning right now. He is the guy of 2019, and I love him. I think the se- the sequence with Halle Berry's character was phenomenal with the dogs. They also win. And I think it's a perfect slow burn of a character. Like, we're really learning this who this guy is and what makes him go and the world that he lives in. And I get excited for any time we see something John Wick because I just love re-entering this world. I think it's a near-perfect film. I am so, so happy because I remember heading into this thinking that this would be the last one. And the fact that it ends on another cliffhanger leading to so another exciting. film. Oh, God, yes. I just can't wait. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number one film of the year is Booksmart. I, I, what else, what, I mean, like, what else can I say that has not already been said? There really isn't much other than it definitely was a film that made me laugh the hardest. Um, I was very impressed by Olivia Wilde's direction. I was very impressed by the performances and also, too, as I believe Michael pointed out, the supporting uh, cast as well. It's got some of my favorite set pieces of the year just in terms of the hilarity of the dolls, the, the, the Uber ride with uh, Jason Sudeikis. <laughs> is something else um (laughs) but the movie is just a pure joy and i know that it's like been called the female super bad i think that's a little unfair i think it's its own thing um it's okay if you want to say like the premise is kind of like that but they're two totally different types of films told from two totally different types of perspectives and i think both work equally as well i will be very 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 surprised if book smart does not stay on my top 10 list throughout the rest of the year Michael, finishing it all off, what is your number one favorite film of 2019 so far? All right, so to finish it off, if I've been a little more lukewarm about the other titles on this list, this is one that I pretty much guarantee will be on my final top 10 come the end of the year, and that is, of course, Toy Story 4. Yeah. I am such a huge fan of this franchise. The first Toy Story opened when I was two months old, so this has been something that's been around my entire life, pretty much. I love that one, but my favorite is actually Toy Story 2. But to me, they're all just of a piece with each other. You know, you're going to rank them one to four. 
something has to end up at the top, something at the bottom. That doesn't mean one is better or worse than the other. They're all pretty much the same in terms of quality. And this is one that I think just fits so beautifully into the rest of the franchise. I don't know if it, it is indeed the end, but if it is, then it's a great note to go out on. And to have this arc about this character, Woody, you know, sort of come full circle in many ways, is just a beautiful thing to behold. The animation here is jaw-droppingly beautiful. Just the detail in the characters, the porcelain face on Bo Peep, the views over at the carnival, the trees, the nature, everything about it. It's probably the most beautiful work Pixar has ever done, I would say. So this is just a wonderful film. Great to see these characters back again. And far and away, my favorite film of the year so far. Taking all of this together, and also too from the other members of Next Best Picture, I've taken all of your top tens, I have put them all together, and what I have done is I have created a collective top ten from the NBP team as a whole for 2019 so far. I can't wait. At number ten is Claire Denis' film High Life. Uh... Bianca, you having it at number one actually tipped it into the top 10. So good for you for keeping that alive. (laughs) Uh, Number nine is Captain Marvel. Yay. Ended up on uh, quite a lot of lists here, and it has made the top 10. Number eight is Apollo 11, the only documentary to make its way onto the list. Uh, Number seven is Rocket Man. Number six is the last black man in San Francisco. Those who have seen it here on the MVP team rated it pretty highly on their lists. Number four, sorry, number five. Number five is Late Night. Number four is Toy Story 4. Number three is Avengers Endgame. Number two, is book smart and number one appearing on the most lists of any other film here at next best picture is jordan peele's us yes <laughs> i'm glad i have the correct list no i'm just kidding <laughs> i think that may be because it's the only one everybody saw maybe probably yeah maybe you know even with something like avengers like i didn't see avengers so that's how that probably missed out <laughs> but here's the thing, though, like, even though everybody saw it, that doesn't mean they have to put it in their top 10. So the fact that it placed in almost everyone's, like literally almost everyone's top 10 says something about the film. OK, so now uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pivot over to the polls. We're going to discuss one more trailer and then we're going to call it a day over here. So I'm going to do this one very, very quickly. Uh, last week or this weekend, rather, we saw the release of Danny Boyle's latest film yesterday. Which I had the chance to see. Did anybody else get a chance to see it yet? Uh, I have. I don't know whether I'm going to go see it, but uh, my local theatre is only showing two films at the moment. One is Toy Story Four, and one is Yesterday. So I think it's going to be Toy Story Four. <laughs> makes sense. Just from the reactions I've had from people uh, in regards to Yesterday, uh, it's yeah. Um, I, I would say give I would say give it a shot because you may you might fall into the category of those that loved it um, because there definitely are quite a few of those people too. Hmm. It's very very divided, very divided. Like like under the Silver Lake, for example. Well, I'm bound to love it then. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll see. We'll see. So we asked everyone for last week's poll, which is their favorite Danny Boyle film? We listed his entire filmography. The votes have been collected. They have been tallied up. And these are your top five Danny Boyle films. Coming in at number five is Sunshine. Number four, by one point above Sunshine, his other genre film, 28 Days Later. Number three, his Oscar-winning film, Slumdog Millionaire. That low? Yep. Ooh, that means train spotting is going to be high. Yay! Number two is, in my opinion, what should have been his other Oscar-winning film, Steve Jobs. Thank you. And at number one, Deanne, you're right on the money. Train spotting. That's my favorite, too. I like when it lines up. Yeah, train spotting is something that uh, when I, I remember, like, you know, when you're in that age where you're like watching Goodfellas and Pulp Fiction, you're like, oh, whatever crime films are out there. And then you like discover train spotting and you're just like, I love movies, you know? <laughs> uh, T2 train spotting, like, is almost near the bottom of the list. Like, nobody likes that movie at all. <laughs> I, I'm surprised that, like, Shallow Grave is not on. Um, I feel like people need to go and see that film because, personally speaking, I prefer Shallow Grave over Train Spotting, which is, I know, like, crazy. How dare I blaspheme? But, uh, yeah, Shallow Grave is such a, a great film. I, I think his first film, really. So, and and it's just amazing. Like, Young Ewan McGregor. Mm. You thought he looked young in Train Spotting. He looks even. He looks a year younger. <laughs> uh, I will just say for the record too that number six uh, that had a similar vote tally to the top five was 127 hours. After that, considerable, considerable drop in terms of how many votes the rest of the films got. So. Those are like the top six Danny Boyle films. Unfortunately, Shallow Grave is not in there. But I do chalk it up to your point, Bianca, that maybe just not enough people have seen it. So there's a good Criterion version of that film out there that people should definitely check out if they have not. This week for Midsommar, we are asking everyone which is their favorite A24 horror film. Kind of broad because A24 doesn't do like your typical jump scare horror. And they do have some movies like, say... Climax or The Killing of a Sacred Deer or even Cretia. They're not typical horror films, but they are just unnerving to watch. And they kind of fall into like A24's own category of horror because that's the kind of horror that they produce. They produce disturbing, suspenseful, psychological, unnerving horror films. That don't really jump scare you, but have like disturbing imagery and just keep you on your toes, biting your nails. And so with their list of films out there, I'm going to go around here. Bianca, we'll start off with you. Do you have like an A24 horror film that really jumps out to you as your favorite? Uh, Yes, I would have to say The Witch. Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? <laughs> <laughs> that film made me scared of goats. Um, so that's... <laughs> but yeah, I, I just really love the the. I love anything to do with witches and, and witchcraft. So that film is so creepy and just, yeah, just the uh, the whole atmosphere and dread of it all. It's so good. Casey? I feel like we might have the same one, Matt, but it's hereditary. Booyah! I mean, talk about something getting under my skin. I think this might be the most scared I've been 
in a movie, in a theater at least, just based on like my own tapping into my own personal fears and things and my fear of the dark, uh, especially in that third act. Tony Collette in the corner. (laughs) Never forget. (laughs) But I've like seen it three times now and it just continue to love it. And I get to a point now where I get more excited by the scares and I love when I can transcend that into a a horror movie after having seen it a few times. And yeah, Tony Collette's fucking great. And, and so is Alex Wolf. He was in my personal lineup last year, honestly. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I can't go wrong with that. DN. I'm going to go with green room. I love Jeremy Saulnier. I loved blue ruin, but I think green room was just a really interesting kind of cat and mouse thriller with this count. I, does it count? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. All right. Um, good. And, um, and Patrick Stewart is just in, you know, obviously playing against type and, um, this movie's a lot of fun if people haven't seen it. I can say that I have a review of Green Room on the site and I wish that I could go back and rewrite it because that film just got better and better and better each time I kept going back to it. And I I, like I gave it a six out of 10 originally. I would totally change that now. That movie is awesome. And Anton Yelkin. Yeah. Cheers to you, man. May you rest in peace. You were phenomenal in that movie. Uh, uh, Who are we up to? Lauren. I'm going to give Under the Skin a good, like, spotlight, because that movie, for me, every time I see it, my perspective on it changes. I think it's weird. I think it's mysterious. I think it's crazy. I think that time in Scarlett Johansson's career was the most interesting. I think she did a lot of great work during that year. And just, like, what it says is just mind-bending and... That's a movie, like, when I first saw it, I literally just, like, I watched it on my computer, then, like, the movie ended, and I did, didn't impress anything, and I just stared at my computer for around 20 minutes, trying to understand, like, what, how to process everything. It was just the most crazy thing, and then once you see it again, you get a totally different mind sense, and it's, I think it's a crazy, fantastic film. All right. All right. Uh, Mine is no surprise. uh, The film that I think is the best horror film to come out since The Exorcist. And yes, I am not exaggerating when I say that. I really, really do believe that. I think Hereditary is something just truly miraculous. And what really surprises me even more is I think that Ari Aster's filmmaking in Midsommar is even better than what he does in Hereditary. However, the story of Hereditary and the psychological terror uh, that that movie is able to just like tap into something with me on a personal level. Um, It is something that I will never be able to shake. Um, I'm not a parent, but Tony Collette's performance made me feel that grief so, so much in ways that I, I I just can't, I, I just can't explain. And I think for that reason alone, it's a very, very special film for me. So definitely hereditary, but Midsommar get hype. It's awesome. So excited. Uh, Michael, this should be interesting. What do you got? <laughs> yeah, so I'm going with while we're young because there's nothing more frightening than existential dread. <laughs> <laughs> seriously, though, uh, that, I thought that was a pretty good answer, though, uh, of the films that you would qualify here. You know, these A24 horror films aren't really my speed. You know, I appreciate the artistry in them. I just don't really connect with them for whatever reason. But I did like Under the Skin because I think Jonathan Glazier is a really talented filmmaker. I think Sexy Beast is great. Birth is great. And what he's doing with Under the Skin sort of feels of a piece with the, some of his elements from those previous films. 
Uh, Scarlett Johansson is great. And just the overall look and style of it really works. I'm shocked that that's your answer. <laughs> I, I, I am genuinely shocked too. Just knowing you, Michael, that's all. <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm like, I'm like shaking my head like, what? Team under what, the skin, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Matt, you're shaking your head that I picked that or just. I, I'm just shaking my head like, w- like just wow. I, I'm like, I'm like amazed that under you even. I, I can't believe you've seen under the skin, actually. <laughs> I saw it when it opened. Uh, yeah, but like to even then say, OK, it must be that the bar is either super, super low for you or <laughs> this is like the first time I'm hearing you like advocate for a movie like this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I, I'm just like I, I, I'm impressed. I'm, I'm very impressed right now. So but the real answer is while we're young. there's nothing scarier than millennials let's face it (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i think bo burnham would agree with you on that all right so vote on the polls page at nextbestpicture.com tell us which is your favorite a24 horror film maybe it is midsummer you can wait to actually vote on the poll after you've seen midsummer if that really is your favorite so head on over there vote let us know we will read out the results on next week's show and now to tie it all off here and say goodbye for this week's episode it's been a long episode i really appreciate everyone sticking with us all the way till the very end but we couldn't let this one go we had to actually even sacrifice some other trailers to talk about this week for the sake of time but we are definitely going to talk about the trailer for the good liar starring ian mckellen helen mirren written by jeffrey hatcher and directed by bill condon let's take a look at this one. So tell me, have you done this a lot? Met people on the computer service? Don't you find it's always the same? You mean the anticipation followed by the letdown? But I tell myself, brace up. This time it will be different. Which is why I must now confess to you a deception in my part. My name is in fact not Brian, it's Roy. the future. How much do you think she's worth? Nearly three million pounds. You're going to take the lot? You bloody bet I'm going to take it all. Is that your grandson? It's too soon to be getting so close to him. I've grown very fond of you. Do you know who you are? You're the only person on this planet who makes me feel that I'm not alone. I know things about you, who you really are. You don't want to do this, Roy. It's the game. It's the adrenaline rush. What if it is? Seems like you've had quite a past. (laughs) Enough to last several lifetimes. Blink, your life's changed forever. You know, it's very peculiar doing things you'd never imagined. Secrets between you, God, the devil, and the dead. You don't know him! Just have to point off right off the bat, that Helen Mirren is credited first in this trailer. Yeah, why do you think? Do you think it's because the movie's probably told? I don't know. That's interesting. I was thinking maybe it's because it's told from her perspective, and maybe 
she's more of the lead than Ian McKellen. But based on what I saw in the trailer, it does look very much like a two-hander. Like the film will shift from both of their perspectives and they'll have scenes separate of each other. You know what I mean? I think it's telling of the twist that might come in the movie. Or maybe it's just mm. something as simple as her being the Oscar winner. Mm, well, do we think that that could change here based on what we're seeing yeah, from Ian McKellen really, in this? He looks pretty terrific in this. I agree. Yeah. His mustache in this film is just superb. I feel like that's <laughs> going to get a best supporting actor knob. Does Ian McKellen's mustache have a Twitter account yet? We need to take a look <laughs> into this. <laughs> if Kenneth Branagh doesn't have one from uh, Perot and Murder in the Orient Express, you know, we, we got to get on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, if you think about it, like Bill Condon, like he's just getting off of Beauty and the Beast, which is like a billion dollar movie. So the guy could make any movie he wanted to and this is what he chose and he this is a repeat collaboration with ian mckellen which just again shows the like the trust and the faith that they have in this particular project which i i'm really excited i'm getting a lot of hitchhiking vibes towards it i think these are two phenomenal actors and i'm excited to see them work together and i'm just really interested to see what actually goes down between them i have this feeling since gods and monsters where in my opinion, Ian McKellen should have won his Oscar. I don't think anyone disagrees with you. Mm-hmm. I think that since then, I think with Mr. Holmes and now this, Bill Condon like maybe feels that he has to personally be responsible to be the one to, to direct Ian McKellen to that Oscar. And they're very good friends. It would be like if Scorsese directed Leo to the Oscar. Sure. Absolutely. I, but I, I mean, obviously, that's not the case here, you know, but it, it is interesting to see how. Bill Condon does continue to keep working with Ian McKellen. And this definitely, by all accounts from this trailer, looks like a juicy enough role. Him playing this mysterious con man and looks like there's some murder involved. Looks like there's some deceit. You know, this this is an interesting hook to this that I'm very, very excited to see play out. And who knows? To your point, Michael, maybe the trailer is not letting on to something here. And that could yield more of a rewarding result in terms of the performances. The early buzz is very good coming out of these test screenings. Everyone's pretty excited for it. Warner Brothers has it slated for a November release. I think we could definitely pencil in both Mirren and McKellen for SAG nominations. I also will go so far as to say that I got a feeling that this will premiere at Telluride. Yeah, I, I see it as more of a Toronto play, but I could definitely see it drop. Well, let's be real. Everything is a Toronto play. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Bill Condon, you know, let's credit this guy. He's an Oscar winner for Gods and Monsters. He won adapted the screenplay. If that had been a year 10, I'm sure Gods and Monsters would have been a best picture nominee. Oh, sure. Yeah. But he is responsible for bringing uh, Oscar nominations to four actors. He did Ian McKellen with Gods and Monsters. I'm sorry, five. And Lynn Redgrave there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Laura Lenny with Kinsey, Eddie Murphy and Dreamgirls, and Jennifer Hudson and Dreamgirls. So he has a history. He works really well with actors. Like he's yeah. a director he, that really knows how to work with actors, which I love when like they do. I think that when he does low key stuff like this, like Kinsey, Gods and Monsters, um, even Mr. Holmes, I, I think that he's more in his wheelhouse. I have to admit. The big showy stuff like Beauty and the Beast, obviously the Twilight movies, they have not worked for me. He did a fine job with Twilight, considering what he was working with. He added a nice little twist to that at the end. I I think he was more of the victim of the screenplays for those movies, Mm -hmm. more so than, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll give you that. Um, The Fifth Estate also is something that 
Yeah. That. Yeah. It doesn't always work for him. Let's put it that way. He's got a spotty track record. But um, like I said, just based on the trailer alone, the early buzz, like you're saying there, Michael, and Ian McKellen's got such a, such a narrative. I mean, yeah. I would actually love to see this play out. He's 80 years old. I mean, and, and you know what, too? Like, he's somebody that I feel like he just exudes, like, so much life in his everyday you know, life. I think he could work the campaign trail and still do a great job of writing that narrative, if not to win, at least a nomination. Oh, I've had him in yeah. for nomination since I first heard this movie was announced and seeing the trailer only went to confirm that this could yeah. be the real deal. Yeah, I'm going to pencil him in now that I've seen this trailer. It, yeah, I, I love a good twisty thriller like this. So that gets me. But also, like, who wouldn't want to see him win an Oscar? I mean, he's just great. Plus, he also has Cats later this year. It's only one scene that he's in, but he's playing Gus the theater cat, which is such a good part. So, yeah, I mean, there there could be some supporting uh, work there if he gets good notices for that. That could also just, you know, continue to help him. Yeah. And by the way, Bill Condon, going to give him credit once more just because I think he's a great guy. Not only did he win the Oscar for Gods and Monsters, he was nominated for writing Chicago, which he's the one who wrote with Rob Marshall came up with that conceit of everything being through Roxy's point of view. Mm-hmm. So, brilliant guy when he's really on the ball. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of horror, Matt, I think you curated two trailers about the fears of online dating just to, like, freak with (laughs) or to mess with me or something. Did you guys notice both of those movies start out with some sort of, like, Tinder element or online dating element? Yeah. (laughs) Imagine you just show up to a date and it's like it's Hella Mirren. Like, what? (laughs) I would not object. (laughs) Um, also, that screenplay for for adapted is is um, obviously something to consider. I agree there. I especially if the two actors uh, bounce off each other very well, and there's a lot to really dig into. And of course, uh, the revealing twists of the screenplay really, really hit the right notes. I could definitely see uh, this getting a screenplay nomination. Hell, Carter Burwell's doing the music. Why not pencil him in? Maybe if he does an interesting yeah, score. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I don't think it's going to get like a cinematography nomination or anything like that, but you have a good supporting cast of Jim Carter, Russell Tovey. There's a lot to definitely look forward to here. I'm really, really excited for this one. We'll see how it all plays out in the coming months. Okay. So that will pretty much wrap up then episode 149. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming with us on this journey. I know it's been a long episode, but I thought this was quite a lot of fun. And Bianca and Lauren, I am so, so happy to have both of you on board. And I look forward to many more episodes and continuing to see uh, work from the both of you. So, I mean. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah, welcome. So much again. So excited to start and can't wait to see what's next. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I hope that we all get to talk about The Good Liar at some point later on this year uh so i can talk more about that wonderful wonderful mustache (laughs) (laughs) you know bianca i was actually thinking about that uh i was actually thinking about that to a certain extent i was like man there's gonna be some things that us people in the states are gonna see maybe months before bianca and it's gonna probably drive her nuts (laughs) but then again there are some things that come out in the uk uh sometimes before the states get it too so that's true that is true yeah, you always get the Paddington movies first, so if there's ever <laughs> <laughs> worth it alone. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we'll we'll have equal things to be jealous of in uh, the coming times. So, Bianca, tell everyone where they can find you one more time on the internet. 
Uh, yeah, so you can find me over at Twitter at CineB2. So uh, that's the, the number two. Uh, I don't know what happened to uh, just CineB. Someone took that from me. So whoever you are, uh, how dare you? But uh, no, but seriously, uh, yeah, you can, you can check me out um, over at Filmotomy as well. Lauren? Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Lauren Lamango, so L-A-M-A-G-N-O. And then that's where I'll tweet my stories. And then you could find my work, either some in Real Honey, and then keep and follow the simple cinephile because we have great stuff coming out and it's a great place to just read great things. I concur that wholeheartedly. And also too, Lauren, clear the air for some people that may look you up on Twitter or may hear your name here. Tell everyone once and for all, what is your real last name? My real last name is La Magna. Lamango okay. is a cute little nickname that I had in high school and just sticks with me. So I have a lot of friends that call me Mango. So that's why it's Twitter. This is a good place for it to be. So, all right. Yeah. I just don't want there to be any confusion from anyone. No, that's all good. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'm very, very happy to have both of you here on the show. Michael, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Casey Lee Clark. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. And last but not least, Deanne Knighton. Hi, I'm on Twitter at TweedledeeD33. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 149 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment. Rate us five stars. We really, really appreciate that level of feedback as well as your support, which you can lend over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Upcoming for July, we've got podcast content on Big Little Lies. We also are continuing our 2015 retrospective, which I will have more information for you all on next week's show in regards to the nominations, both from the staff and also the MPP film community as well. So thank you so much for submitting your ballots for that. And of course, uh, some Emmy talk. We have uh, Emmy nominations coming up, so we're very much looking forward to delivering some exclusive podcasts on that as well. So definitely a lot of exciting things happening over here at MVP. And before you know it, we will be in the fall film festival season. I know applications have started going out for TIFF, for NYFF. I'm heading over to Telluride for the first time this year. Should be very, very exciting. Deanne, you're going to TIFF. I am. I'm so excited. Yes. I mean, I don't have my official um, stamp of approval yet, but hopefully that's coming. Yes. Yes. I I think it will be coming soon. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm so excited. I cannot wait. I'm tr- trying to make it work so I can go for the full time and um, do like Bianca and see, you know, 30 or 40 <laughs> movies if I can. Um, I'm going to need lots of ibuprofen. <laughs> 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 Among other things. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time.